0: By the way, I failed to mention this, but if you are interested at all or want to sign up for the marriage getaway, please see my wife, Lisa, about that as quickly as possible. I didn't really give you somebody to go to. Got you all stirred up, nowhere to go. Romans chapter 10, we're traveling through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, and we are sort of in the middle of three chapters where Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. And it's because the nation of Israel is such a great example of how God deals with people both corporately and individually. So there's a lot for us to glean from the example of God and Israel. The other thing is that Paul in these chapters is laying the foundation for the practical exhortations that are going to begin in chapter 12. And so he's he's really laying it out and in a sense plowing the field, if you will, uh, to get the ground of our heart to the place where we will be even more receptive to what he has to say a little bit later on in the book. And here's where Paul is coming from today in using Israel as an example to us. He's saying, look, Everyone knows, if you know the Bible at all, that Israel is God's chosen people. They they were the instrument that God chose to use to make himself known to the world. Yet, for the most part, throughout their history, they have sought to come to God on their own terms, not on his terms. And though Paul is saying to all of us, look, God reaches out and extends himself and his truth and his revelation to those who are still trying to live on their terms rather than his. But what he's also saying is in the midst of you of him extending or reaching out. He never moves, he never compromises, he never changes the truth or somehow makes the truth more palatable so that more will somehow flock to him. So he never does that. He always remains God and his truth never changes and he never changes Because what God used even Israel as an example of through history is this. I want to save you. I have a purpose and plan and design for your life. We talked about that last week. But if you're going to find me, and you're going to find my purpose and plan and design for your life, and even to this, if you're going to truly enjoy life, that you're going to experience the abundant life that... I created you to have, then you've got to learn to start living life on my terms, not on your terms. See, God even says in His Word, the way of the transgressor is hard. In other words, God says, look, I'll give you free will, free choice. That was part of my design. But you've got to understand something. If you choose to live life On your terms rather than mine, your life is going to end up a lot harder than it would have to be. A lot harder. So here's a probing question for all of us. Is your life hard right now? Has it been hard for a while? Now please, let me balance that out. I'm not talking about things that have come into your life that are totally out of your control and that you, you know, you had no hand in. Let's go back a couple more weeks to the book of Job, where we talked about that. Not all pain and suffering and hard times that we go through are caused by us and our choices and our decisions. That's clear. But the Bible is going to tell us, you know, through today's message. But there are times in our life, whether we're a Christian or not, If we are choosing to come to the God of the universe, this great God that we sang about and basically say to God, God, I know what your terms are, but you've got to understand something. I'm choosing right now to ignore your terms of the way I should live life and I'm going to do things my way. Then God gives us that free will, that choice. But God says, your life is going to be awful hard by ignoring my way. So that's why, for instance, let's get real practical. If you're married and you're trying to do marriage on your terms rather than God's terms, your marriage is going to struggle. If you're a parent and you're trying to parent on your terms rather than the way God says to parent, it's going to be harder than it would have to be. If you're trying to be part of a Christian church family and yet you're trying to do Part of the body on your terms rather than God's terms? Harder than it ever has to be. You're out there trying to be a representative for God in the world where you work and where you go to school and all of that, but you're trying to do it on your terms rather than God's terms? Oh, it's going to be harder. And what God is saying is look at the nation of Israel, look at the history of my chosen people. Have they not had it hard throughout their history? Harder than it would have had to have been? Yes. And it should be a great example to us. And it should be a great motivation to us to not be like Israel And to make sure that when we come to God, that we come to God on His terms. Because that's the only way we're truly ever going to have salvation and find God. And then once we do have God in our life as a Christian, let's make sure again that we're living life according to God's terms and not our terms. Or else it's just going to be harder for us. And do we really want life to be that way? I mean, let's face it. God says about salvation, if you want to be saved, I'll save anyone and everyone. But you've got to come my way. You've got to come through Jesus Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God except through him. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way. And yet throughout history, the majority of humans have said, you know, if I'm even interested in spiritual things or believe in a God or whatever, I'm going to come to God on my terms. I'm going to make my own way of salvation. And I'm just going to bank on it that God's going to accept my way. And what God clearly says even through his own people, if you will, the nation of Israel is, you can try to come to me any other way but Jesus, but there is no other way. And I'm not going to change the way of salvation just so more people will come. God's not like, okay, I'm going to scrap salvation through Jesus. Let's figure out what works for you. That's not what happens. It never has and it never will. And God is the same way with us living life. He doesn't look at Jeff Royce and go, Okay, Jeff, you know what my terms are. But because you're not really living by my terms, I'm going to change the rules so that, you know, you can be happier. No. God says, this is my word. My word is forever settled in heaven and it will not change. So that's what Romans 10 is all about. Let's pray and go home No. We'll we'll get into it today, just for a little bit. Because there are some key words that really back up what Paul's saying. So let's look at it, the first couple of verses. Paul says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of my fellow Israelites is for their salvation. I've always had a passion for my fellow countrymen. And we've talked already about that. But he says this, I can testify that they are zealous for God. Hey, they have a zeal. They they get excited about spiritual things. No doubt about it. They they have a great spirit for spiritual things and for God. But notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, I can testify that they are zealous of God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. And that's why Jesus even said, you want to come to me? You want to worship the father? You've got to learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. Because if we're not willing to come to God in truth, according to what he has revealed, if we're not willing to come on his terms and we somehow make up our own terms to come to God and live for God, then again, God gives us that choice. But God says, you'll pay for that choice life will be harder because the way of the transgressor is hard. And the word transgressor just means one who ignores God's terms or God's way and tries to make their own way. And this was Israel. And so notice Paul says too, I don't care how excited you get about God. Israel is a great example of people who had a a fervent spirit for spiritual things always. They've always been a very religious people. But Paul says it means nothing because they never were in line with the truth. They were always trying to come in their spirit to God on their own terms, not the truth that God had revealed. Notice he goes on to say, for ignoring The righteousness that comes from God, verse 3. And by the way, that word ignoring means to willfully and deliberately. In other words, it's never been a case with the nation of Israel that they didn't know God's terms. They didn't know God's way. God clearly revealed it. In fact, the Israelites, even back here in Bible times, knew their Old Testament scriptures better than probably any Christian today knows their scriptures. Old or New Testament. It was never a matter of, oh, Israel didn't know what the scriptures said. Man, they grew up in church. They were taught verses of scripture from the time they were born. And if you ask them to, to, to give a reference and to quote scripture and stuff, man, they could do it. But all that knowledge, there was a disconnect. Because with all that revelation and knowledge, it never occurred to them to start living by God's terms through that revelation instead of trying to create their own way of doing things. Somehow that never translated. And that's what God wants us to be careful of. That's why Israel is such a great example to New Testament Christians. Because you can be a Christian that goes to a hundred Bible studies a week and you can fill your head with the word of God and try to do it as well as the Old Testament Israelites did it or the Israelites in Jesus' day or Paul's day. But if it never comes down to building in us that desire to say, God, I'm not going to live by my terms, I'm going to live by your terms, then all that knowledge and all those Bible studies and all that isn't going to mean anything. And Israel is a great example that God has stood out in history and says, see, see what happens to a group of people who knew me but weren't willing to follow me? That's what happens. Look at Israel. So he goes on to say they ignored willfully and deliberately the righteousness that came from God and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness. Basically, we don't like your way of salvation, God. We're going to make our own way. Instead of accepting the fact that God came down to man through Jesus Christ, the son of God. No, God, we're going to try to attain up to you. We're going to reach up. And we're going to try to be good enough. By living up to the law. And being perfect. And, and minding our you know spiritual P's and Q's always. And that's how we're going to get to heaven. And that's how we're going to live life. Notice what he goes on to say. They did not submit to God's righteousness. There's a key word submit. They tried to come to God on their terms rather than God's terms. By the way, this is an interesting word. This word submit in the Greek language was actually a military word. It was a word that was used for those troops that would arrange themselves under the command of their leader. In other words, Paul's saying that's a great picture of what anyone who who has you know, has a knowledge of God, that's what we should always be willing to do. That we are basically recognizing God not only as God and as our Savior and whatever, but as in a sense our Commander in Chief. And that in a sense we report for duty every day and say, You know, God, I'm here to arrange myself under you. I'm here to live by your terms and what you want out of my life and what you want me to be. No longer am I coming trying to push my agenda on you and living by my terms. God, I recognize you as Lord. I recognize you are the authority in my life. And therefore, I place myself under your command. See, Israel never did that as a nation. Have there been individual Jews throughout history who have recognized Jesus as their Messiah and submitted to God? Yes. But as a nation, they never have. That day's coming, Paul's going to tell us, but it hasn't come yet. So he goes on to say, Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. It means not that Christ does away with law so that the people who follow God are lawless. It means the aim or purpose of the law. In other words, again, God gave the law not as a means of salvation, but actually as a way to show mankind you can never live up to the law. There's no way you and I could ever be perfect and try to attain to the law. So the law was given to show us how we fall short of being you know in our own power and strength what we need to be and therefore the law in a sense points to Christ who is the offer of our righteousness that we could never be on our own and God then wants to use his law to show us Jesus Christ and to say that's how you and I obtain righteousness that's how you and I are saved it's not through trying to be good enough on our own it's By resting in the salvation that's been given to us through the free gift of Jesus Christ. But you and I all know that in this world now, 2,000 years after Christ left, how many people still think I can work my way to heaven? If I'm just good enough, you know, at the end of my life, if God just weighs my good works and my bad works, and I've got one more good work than bad work, I think he'll let me in. See, that's how pervasive this is. And then Christians even get that sort of mindset where I can begin to live life on. I've got God and I'm so thankful, God, you forgave me of my sin. And I'm so thankful, God, that I have knowledge that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But just to let you know, God, I'm living my life on my terms. Look out. Because you know what's happened to Israel over the years, when they did the same thing. It's been hard. And it will be hard for any of us if we choose to live life by our terms rather than God's. He goes on to say, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The one who does these things will live by them. Basically, you want the law to be your salvation and you want to live up to it, then you've got to do it Perfectly. And if you can do it, if you can live up to it, fine, go for it. The problem is no human being has ever been able to fulfill all the law. Only Jesus Christ was able to perfectly fulfill the law of God. So he says, the righteousness, though, in verse 6, it is by faith, by trusting in Jesus, says, do not say in your heart over and over again, who will ascend in heaven, that is to bring Christ down. In other words, Paul's saying, and when we begin to live on our own terms rather than God's terms, all of a sudden God becomes very far away. And I think, man, I, I've got to reach out and I've got to keep going in this direction because God seems so far away and I've got to I try to close the gap between where I'm at and God. And what Paul's saying is, God never moved. God always stays where he is. Now again, he will reach out and extend himself to us through his truth and through his revelation. But God never moves. If you and I or any other human being feels like God is a million miles away, it's not because God ever took a step away from us. It's always because we as human beings took many steps away from God. And Paul says that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. And all they have to do to remedy that is to respond in their heart with what God has already revealed to them. That's why he says, look, you don't have to say, you know, let's go up to heaven and let's bring Christ down. He says, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's already happened. He says, what do you say? You say that the word is near you. It's accessible. It's right there. It's in your mouth and heart. It is the word of faith that we have preached to you. He says, all you have to do is basically submit to and respond to what you already know. Stop living on your terms in spite of the fact you know what God's terms are. That never works, Paul says. So here's what does work. Here's the remedy. Paul says, you know what God's terms are. You move. You repent. You be willing to change you stop trying to somehow manipulate God and manipulate the situation because you know what God's terms are. Either through the Holy Spirit or through His Word or whatever. You know what God's terms are, but you are willfully and deliberately ignoring it just like Israel and you fail to submit to God and say, God, life on your terms from here on out. And I guarantee you this. If you or anyone else that hears this message would begin to say, God, I'm going to start living on your terms instead of mine, I'm telling you, not that life is not going to be without trials and pain and suffering and all that. That's part of living in a fallen world. But you will find that some of the things that you just keep sort of striking your foot against, you know, that immovable wall and keep sort of, you know, hitting your head over and over again and you can't seem to get anywhere will change because God's favor and blessing will be on you and me anytime we choose to live life on his terms rather than ours. It's what he promises us. And Paul goes on to say that. So notice what he says. Here's the key. Verse 9. If you simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the word confess is a very key word here. The word literally means to agree with God. Again, it goes back to that whole thing about living on God's terms and not mine. When a person truly confesses from God's perspective, that means you and I as a human being have come to a point where we say, God, I agree with you. Jesus Christ is is the only way of salvation. And that's how a person gets saved in the first place. But moving beyond that to how we can apply that as Christians, same thing. God wants me to confess my sins. Because in confessing, there is His, you know, restoration through my confession. When I agree with God that what I am doing is sin and is not right in His eyes, when I agree with God that I am living on my terms rather than His terms, when I say it out loud and confess it, God says, there, that, that's a start right there. That's how we get the ball rolling in the right direction. It's to come to a place where we acknowledge and agree with God. But then he moves on. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you have the conviction that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness, a right standing with God. And with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. For the scripture says, everyone, any and all who believe in Jesus will never be put to shame. The word means disillusioned or disappointed. God is basically saying, if you do trust in my son Jesus, you won't be disappointed. You can stake your life on him. Begin to live by his terms rather than yours and you'll see you won't be disappointed. By the way, little side note here, because a lot of people ask me about my view of election and free will and all that and I'll just say this on the side. You obviously study it out for yourself. But I think this passage here is also a great example of how the sovereignty of God and the free will of man both exist together. And how God doesn't elect certain people to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell who have no choice. Because Israel, as a nation, was the elect of God. Did they still not have a choice of whether they were going to follow God or not? Seems to me that throughout their history, again, the majority of Israel has rejected God, even though they were his elect nation. God still gives them a free will. In fact, what Romans 10 and 11 teaches is, God actually then brought the Gentiles, who had no knowledge of God, even that weren't seeking God, into a relationship with him. Because of Israel's rejection. Anyway, we'll we'll go on. So notice then he begins to say in verse 12, there's no distinction then between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is Lord over all who richly blesses all who call on him. If I begin to live by God's terms rather than my terms, oh my goodness, the favor and blessing of God will pour out in my life. And even when the challenges and trials and suffering and pain of life come into my life, I will have such spiritual strength. And I will have such spiritual stability and security in my life. It'll be like, bring it on. Because I know God is with me. And I have the confidence that because I'm living on his terms rather than mine, that his presence is right here and his power is pulsating through my life. And that's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the words of a man who's living by God's terms rather than his own. And that's why he can face life so confidently. See? Now, in verse 14, Paul takes a little turn here. He says, hey, how are they to call on him who they've not believed? How are they to believe in one they've not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? In other words, bringing the message. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, Paul concludes, as it is written, how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news? First of all, Paul's saying this. He's saying, look, thank God for the obedience of some who have been willing to live on God's terms and have been moved by God to share the gospel with people. He says, thank God for their obedience. Thank God that they were willing to arrange themselves under the command of their leader. And I think every one of us in this auditorium this morning who's truly a Christian, we've been saved. We we should never forget the obedience of the one who came into our life and told us about Jesus Christ. Because that's an example of somebody who at least at that moment in that season of their life, they were living on God's terms, not ours. Because they were being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And they were allowing God to move them into our life because we were lost. And we needed Christ. And they were willing to tell us about Christ at that moment. And so Paul's using them sort of as an example of, again, someone who's not living for themselves, but living for the Lord. And I think he's using these verses also as a hopefully a motivation to us. To be open to the fact that, you know, instead of always focused on ourselves. To again, come to God and say, God, is there somebody you want me to talk to about you? Is there somebody you want me to witness to? Because I realize that, you know, people can't come to you unless they know. Now, obviously, even if they know, like Israel, they can reject But you also want us to take your word into this world and get it out there. That's all we're supposed to do. That's all we're responsible for is to plant the seed of God's word. We are never responsible for other people's response. So as a Christian, you could witness to a thousand people in your lifetime and not one of them ever come to Christ. And yet God would tell you in heaven, you are faithful. Because you did what I asked you to do. I'm not holding you responsible for them saying no to me. But I will hold you responsible if I want you to be one of my instruments to go and tell them and you won't do it. Because you're living life on your own terms rather than on mine. But now Paul also wants to say this. He says there are many people who, you know, conclude, well, maybe they don't know. Maybe they just don't know what God's terms are like Israel. So notice what Paul says. He says, not all have obeyed, verse 16. The word means to listen or submit. Again, it's not that they didn't know the word. It's not that God didn't send throughout the nation of Israel, the history of Israel, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. It's not that Israel never had the word. It's not that they didn't know what God's ways were. It's not that they didn't know what God's terms were. It was they knew and they weren't willing to submit. They weren't willing to listen. Even Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? These Old Testament prophets, you got to feel for them. I mean, they spent most of their lives and nobody ever listened to them. (laughs) They didn't have much of a following, but God's going to reward them for all of eternity because they were faithful to him and to his word. So notice in verse 17, consequently, faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. Now, many things from this verse, but the one thing I want to point out that usually is not pointed out here is this. And that is, yes, faith can come from what is heard, but only if it is submitted to. Only if we surrender to it. Only if once we hear what God's terms and means are, that we say, okay, God, I'm living by that now rather than by the way I have been living. That's the only way it spiritually benefits us. And this is what Christians need to hear and why, again, the example of Israel is such a powerful example. Because, again... You could be in a hundred Bible studies. You could read the Bible every day. You could spend time in your personal devotions in the Word of God. My friends, all that you're hearing, all that you're exposing yourself to will never benefit you unless what you are hearing, you're willing to follow. That's why Christians can come to church. And hear the word of God week after week after week. And nothing changes. That's why Christians can be in the word. And people go, I don't understand, man. They're in the word every day. And yet, look at this. But see, all of us, that's what we got to be careful of. I, who am in the word a lot, can get to the point where, yeah, I'm in the word. But is the word in me? Is the word getting into me? Has it captured my heart? Has it gotten to a place where I say, yes, I know, Lord, that's your way. Let me follow. Because God says to his people, just like he did Israel, you can know the word like the back of your hand. Again, no one knew the Old Testament scriptures better than the Israelites did. But somehow all that knowledge never caused them to be obedient. (laughs) They were still always as a nation saying, God, I want to do things my way. And again, I hold them up as an example even today. Do you see what's happened to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people for the last couple thousand years? Would that not be a motivation for us to go, I don't want to end up like them. I don't want to live my life wandering around in a desert for 40 years, never getting anywhere because I just fail to live life on your terms, God. That's what Romans 10 is all about. So notice, Paul concludes it by saying this. But I ask, have they not heard? Yes, they have. In fact, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's not that they didn't know. It's that they knew and they refused to surrender. But again, I ask, didn't Israel understand? Did they truly perceive and become thoroughly acquainted with the word of God? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by those who are not a nation. With a senseless nation, I will provoke you to anger. In other words, God is trying to stir up his people, Israel, by the Gentiles, by showing them, hey, these Gentiles that you look down your nose at because they're not Jewish, do you realize that as they come to me on my terms, do you see how life is for them? Don't you want that? Why are you working so hard over here? And why is life so hard for you? If you were just look at these Gentiles and see that those who have accepted me as my as their savior, it's different for them. Doesn't that cause you to maybe want what they have? So that's, again, why God is always trying to move people, but he won't force us. He never forces us. Because he's chosen free will. But what he does give us in the scriptures and in history are a lot of examples like the nation of Israel, which is maybe the greatest example. Of those who said, God, I know what your terms are, but we're choosing to live on our terms. And God says, is that what you really want for your life? The way of the transgressor is hard. And I run into a lot of Christians Who, if they were honest, say, man, life is hard. You know, I think to myself, yo, know, well, if they're, if they're married, are, are you doing marriage God's way or your way? Parenting, hard? Yeah, it is hard. In fact, I've told my own daughter and son-in-law, parenting will be one of the hardest things God ever asks you to do. But it will be easier if you do it God's way rather than your way. Are you truly following what God's prescription of parenting should be like? How about being a church member and part of a local church? You doing that God's way or you doing it your way? And God simply says, you know, all those things in life that we are a part of would go a lot better for us if we chose to do it God's way. If we truly believe in the God of the Bible, that He's the creator of everything we see, that He's great and amazing, like we sing about, then why would we ever want to try to live life on our terms, somehow thinking we know better than Him? If He's truly this great God then why are we not surrendering to him every day and saying, God, you know best. It's not just earthly father knows best. It's you really are the heavenly father. You know everything. I will follow you. So he concludes with this. He says, Isaiah verse 20, is even bold or daring enough to say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became well known to those who did not ask for me. Gentiles. And can I just say again, folks, this is such a powerful message to us as Christians. Because sometimes there are those people out there and you and I all know, and maybe we're even one of them, who never grew up in a Christian family, had any kind of Bible foundation or background at all, we would pretty much be described, either ourselves or someone else, as just pagan, godless. And yet, somewhere along the line, either we or somebody that we know who was like that, who had nothing at all, ends up finding God in their life, and man, their whole life has changed. And yet then you've got this person who grows up around religious, spiritual things and in church all the time and grew up in a Christian family and has been exposed to the word of God over and over and over again and get to a place in their life where they just say, I'm doing things myself. I'm not following God. And that's one of the great messages that's coming out of Romans 10 is be careful be careful that all that upbringing and all that background and all that knowledge and all that Bible study and all that church and all that really is paying off. Because all of that, if we're not continually surrendering to all of that, can actually turn us off to God rather than turn us on. And somebody who had no religious background, No Christian home. No Bible foundation at all. When they find God, oh my goodness, they're on fire for God and soon they're running past us. And we're back here as that Christian that we've been a Christian for a long time just sort of waving at them as they go by. And the difference is because when they found God, They found him in such a way that they're like, God, I've lived my life on my terms. And I have experienced and maybe will forever on earth experience the pain of living life on my terms. No longer, God, I'm living the rest of my days on your terms. And we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't get hardened to living life with that kind of surrender. Or else all of the advantages and privileges that we have had will mean nothing if our heart is not in a place where we say to God, God, your way, rather than my way. So notice the very last verse of chapter 10. God says, but about Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands. The word held out there means to stretch out, to extend. God never stopped trying to reach his people through his word, through his revelation. But he never moved. Think about it like the prodigal son's father. The prodigal son took off and did his own thing and lived life his way. And the father was always going to be there if the son ever realized what he had done and come back. But the father never budged. The father never moved. father says, you want what's here? Then you come back. I'm not chasing after you. And God doesn't chase after anyone. God doesn't say, oh, oh, I, I, I need, you know, I, please, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll change my ways. I'll do it or please love me. God never does that. That would be undignified of God. God says, I am the God of this universe. I created you and everything that you see. I sustain this universe and I give you life and breath every day. And if you want to be a part of who I am and you want to live life on my terms, you come to me. Which is why Jesus told those who would follow him. Jesus didn't chase after people and try to build a big following of people to follow him. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? You follow me. That's the kind of people God is looking for. And that's why God says "Too, all day long, I held out my hands to this disobedient, refusing to be persuaded is what the word means. And stubborn people. And I've used this term now throughout my message. And this is where I got it. The word stubborn here means refusing to come to God on his terms. Now the cool thing is this. God is still reaching out to Israel. He doesn't give up on us. If you and I are living on our terms rather than his. He doesn't stop loving us. And he doesn't stop trying to extend and move into our lives and cause things to happen to where we'll be willing to say, God, I'm coming back. I know you haven't moved. I've moved. I'm coming back to you. I'm willing to follow you. So God never gives up on us. Take encouragement from that from even people that you know. God's not going to give up on them. If he hasn't given up on the nation of Israel, he's not going to give up on you or a friend or a family member. But God will say this. God says, but I'm not chasing after you. I'm not running after you. I'm going to reveal my word to you. And then it's going to be up to you and me what we do with it. And if we truly believe that God is great, and that He is the creator of everything that we see, including us and our sustainer, then why would we not stop living life on our terms and begin to live life on God's terms? Let's pray. God, in just a moment, we as a group of Christians are going to sing a song about how great you are. And God, as we sing that song, I, I pray today that the words truly would penetrate our hearts and minds. And Lord, whatever your Spirit is speaking to us about, if there's some area in our life where it's clear that we know what your way and your terms are, but we have chosen to live. Our way and on our terms, that God, we would be willing to acknowledge that and say, God, I'm coming back. I'm willing to start living by your terms rather than mine. Because frankly, life's been hard for quite a while. And I feel like I'm just wandering beating my head against the wall day in and day out. And this message has made me realize it's, it's because I'm doing things my way rather than your way. Help us to live your way, God. Help us to live your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing how great thou art.